Great. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. Um, I hope you don't mind, but we really wanted to celebrate the, uh, the launch of Claire's new book, Taking Off the Mask, with you all today, mainly because it is a real, it's an honor and a privilege to journey through life, to do life, to walk in community with you guys, our church family. And we really, really mean that. But also because the, the theme of living authentically that runs through the theme of Claire's book is such an important topic and one that we want to share with you this morning. I, I think more than ever before, we, we are living in a time where we can manage how people view us. I remember reading about Kim Kardashian recently. Uh, apparently, for every photo she tweets, she takes 500. She said, this is how I recommend to get the perfect selfie. 500 photos to select the perfect one to finally present to the world. And of course, then you can tweak them, you can enhance them, you can edit them before finally saying, okay, I'm happy. This is the image that I want the world to see of me. And, and that's just our physical image. You know, we can also be completely selective in what we allow people to see of our lives and what we do. And it's like there's a, there's a safety filter that we can put around us. This is the image I would like you to perceive me. This is how I want to be perceived. There's a safety filter. I mean, even our news feeds are selective now, aren't they? On Facebook and the news feeds, you know, they, they select stories that will appeal to our demographic, to our tastes. And, and it really, it, it shapes the way we see the world. It shapes the way we view ourselves. It really does color and make it kind of hard to trust what we actually see and what we actually hear. And I think all this really leads, I believe, to a very deep yearning in all of us for something that is real, for, for something that is authentic, something that is true, and not just a facade, not just a show. Yet what is true authenticity, apart from being quite a buzzword at the moment? Because there's so many articles written about it. There's, there's a lot of talk about it. I think it's stemming from this desire for true authenticity. What is true authenticity? You know, we, we can describe people as being authentic, and it can mean loads of different things. You know, true authenticity is more than just being open and honest, you know, it's more than just saying something hurtful to someone and saying, I'm just being real. I'm just being honest. It's more than just being highly emotional and passionate about something. You know, we say, wow, they're really authentic. It's more than that. You know, as a Christian, what does it mean to be the real deal? Well, the Bible talks about living authentically in the context of fully living the life that Jesus has paid for us on the cross. 
the life we've been celebrating, the fact that we can enjoy a fullness of life because of Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection. This is the life he has called us to live. He has called you to be the person you were originally created to be and not the one defined by your mistakes or your past and not the one defined by the way you want people to perceive you. You know, there's this constant effort to blend in, isn't there? To be accepted. Yet Jesus didn't call us to pretend to be someone we're not. He didn't say, come follow me and try really, really hard to do as good impression of me as you can. He didn't say that. What did he say? First of all, we read the whole gospel message is that he first takes our sin and our shame and all the mess of our lives and then calls us to walk in a new life. 2 Corinthians talks about we're new creations in Christ. And we walk in that new life, not our old life, pretending we're new, in a new life in the power and the strength of his Holy Spirit. It's new, it's real, and it's pure. This is what we're called to do. It's not faking it. You know, he has seen the very, very worst of what we can do and what we will do. He's seen it all from beginning to end, and he still loves you, and he still accepts you, and he still calls you by name. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Surely, therefore, the church, his family, should be the most open, transparent, loving, and freeing place to be. You know, the truth is none of us have it all together. None of us do. Whatever our, whatever we like to project, none of us have it all together. And I think the sooner we, we, we stop trying to pretend that we do, the sooner God's grace, amazing grace we've been singing about can work through us. As a church, I think we do this pretty well, actually. I think we, we are authentic. We strive to be authentic because, you know what? We've got nothing to hide. Jesus loves us and accepts us. That's where our security lies, not in what other people think. But I believe it requires from us to grow in this a daily recognition, daily recognition of our own brokenness but also a recognition of his amazing grace. And in a culture that never really wants to show its brokenness or its flaws, that can be a very brave journey. And it can also at times be a very painful journey. And yet this is what we're called to do. Ephesians 4 verse 22 describes this daily process as a throwing off or a putting off of our old nature our old sinful ways, the former way of life. Verse 23, it says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, okay, not a facade, a new nature that is purchased by Jesus Christ, created to be like God, truly, truly righteous and holy. An authentic Christian is not someone who seems to have it all together. It is a person who is very, very visibly saying, I need Jesus. I need Jesus today. 
It's where we both privately and publicly put off this old self with all its protective layers and shame and trying to hide ourselves and actually putting on, trusting Jesus to cover us with his righteousness and his love and his grace. You know, what a, what a place of real freedom as we journey daily into that decision. I'm going to put off my old self, put off my old shame, put off my old fears. I'm going to put on Jesus trust in his righteousness. And it's a journey that obviously Claire and, and I have been on and still are on. It's a lifetime journey. And we just thought we'd just model some real authenticity as well by sharing our own story as well. Claire. Please bear with me. I'm actually feeling really emotional this morning, so I don't quite know how I'm going to get through this. <laughs> um, as Steve said, we have been on a real journey with this, and I just want to start by saying how grateful I am to all of you um, for your support, for your prayers, and for your practical help over the years. It has been a long journey to get this book published. I know a lot of you know the story behind that, and I know many of you have stood by me in prayer in that process, so thank you. As Steve said, my book is a very open and honest account of how God first started teaching us about what true authentic living means. And it was after a very painful episode in our marriage that left me feeling really exposed and very vulnerable. Um, many of you know the story, um, and some of you have lived it with us, but actually not all of you do. There are new people in the church, and we just wanted to share openly with you because... Um, my books are for sale at the back later. Sorry, that's my plug. Um, but I didn't want people to be buying the book and then reading it and being really shocked. We just wanted to be upfront with you from the start. So, um, as Steve said, church is supposed to be a place of real freedom and acceptance. But far too often it isn't. And as we walk through those doors, we feel like we have to put a mask of respectability on in order to belong, in order to blend in. But that is so far removed from what God intends. And he's talked to me since this time in our lives about the many reasons that we might wear masks um, and how we hide from our real selves from each other. And sadly, that can often be from negative experiences. Perhaps somebody has judged us harshly in church in the past. Perhaps others have rejected us. But sometimes it can simply be down to the fear of possible rejection. And that often stems from that need of approval that Steve was talking about. Our social media culture is so fixated on those likes. And we can actually project that into our physical lives. So we paint a picture of what we think other people want to see from us in order to get their approval. But as we've been singing about that song that Mike um, brought with such a beautiful reminder that God has made us his own. And we don't actually need to search for approval from anybody else apart from our Heavenly Father. And the great news is, we've got it already. Whatever we do, whatever we've done, whatever we will do, God loves us and accepts us. And again, Mike did a great job a few weeks ago of reminding us of how too easily we can forget that we can look to the wrong source for our sense of love and acceptance. And the Israelites did it over and over again in the desert, didn't they? We can read it and think, oh, how foolish they were. They kept forgetting God's love, kept forgetting how he delivered them, and they turned to all sorts of idols for their salvation. But oh, how quickly we do the same thing. 
And you'll see in a minute that I fell for that in a big way. I do think there is a tendency within us to forget. But before I tell you our story, let's just remind ourselves that the way that God has of ensuring that we are all loved and cared for, as well as the way he reaches out to the lost world, is through authentic church community. That is what we're called to be. Steve and I were part of what was then Queen's Road Church in Wimbledon. So too were Michaela and Baldwin, John and Roz, Heather, Paul and Pam. It's great to have them this weekend and other people. But while we were part of that community and we were an active part of that community, we weren't being fully honest with them. We'd got married at the end of my second year in university. I'd married my teenage sweetheart from youth group back in Bath when we'd grown up together. On the outside, everything looked perfect. But I was hurting so much inside. And I know Steve was too. But we couldn't bear to admit that to anybody. Everybody else's lives in church looked perfect too. But I should have realized if I was going through so much, if what I was feeling was so bad, and people saw this positive facade when they met me in church, how many more of them were just putting up a facade as well? While we may have been married, Steve and I just didn't see each other. At this point, Steve was um, a record producer, and he worked pretty much 24 hours a day, six or seven days a week. I hadn't done marriage prep. I refused to do it because I knew I'd be doing it on my own. I was like, well, what's the point of that? So I entered our marriage full of idealistic notions, and then reality hit. I was working hard on my dissertation, so I was at home a lot more than normal, and I was just incredibly lonely. I cried out to God about it. I said, well, what was the point of bringing us together? And God said, he drew me to Isaiah 54, and he said he wanted to be my husband. He wanted to teach me to get all my love and my sense of approval from him. But I threw that back at him. He just seemed too far away. I needed something physical. I just kept crying out, I need my husband here. I need to be able to have a hug when I need one. I need to be able to talk things through with him I need to. I wanted the physical rather than the spiritual. So often the spiritual seems out there and we need something here. We've got such an instant gratification culture and I think it's taught us some really bad habits. But actually, it all, that goes back to ancient times too. Again, the Israelites did exactly the same thing, didn't they? When Moses went up to meet with God, what were they doing? They were fashioning idols out of their own hands and then worshipped them because it was something in front of them rather than God out there. Steve and I kept things going for so long. I would have a meltdown once or twice a year, which was pretty ugly. Um, but we'd talk things through once I'd calmed down. And we just couldn't see a way to make any changes. So we just put our heads back down and just plodded on. That was the point where we should have asked for help. But we were too ashamed. And we also just thought that that's what life was like, that we just had to accept it. And it just made me so sad. I thought, is this what my life is? So I would go back to working hard and playing very hard. At this point in time, I was working in a publishing company up in London, and I used to spend every evening out with friends from work, drinking, coming home late at night, just to get up early and start the cycle again, because I was feeling empty inside, and it was the only way I knew how to fill it. 
Thankfully, after a while, I did know that was destructive behavior. So I made some changes. I went freelance and started working from home so I could see Steve because our hours hadn't coincided at all. Um, I got much more involved in church. The worship team ended up leading a life group. And then we ended up as part of the team that came to launch this new church. But that's when everything blew up in our faces. And I just wanted to say, I just felt when we were worshiping, this was all 16 years ago. And I think we've needed that time and that space and that healing. But God has asked me to tell our story, which is why I've written it down. And thankfully, Steve has given me, um, he's supporting me in that and and letting me share, even though he's quite a private person. Um, And this is a very shameful part of my past, but it doesn't hold shame for me anymore. It still feels a little bit intimidating that I'm just about to tell you all this, but God has redeemed me. He's made me whole. And even though this was a massive mistake I made, even once I said I believed in him and was following him, we all do that to a certain extent, big or small. Mine just happened to be a bit of a humdinger of a one. Um, So just as the church was about to start, I just had got to a point again that I felt I couldn't go on. I'm not going to go into all the details now, There are a few more in the book, but I don't go into lots of gory details. Um, But there was a person who seemed to understand where I was at, who seemed to give me validation, and I lapped it up. So I ended up trusting in another man for my love and my acceptance and my security instead of God and my husband. But within two weeks, that was all over. And there I was, left completely alone devastated. My life was in shatters. I had no idea what was going to happen if I completely ruined my life for good. And the worst thing was that I knew it was all my fault. I had nobody else to blame. And it was the way that Steve responded to me at that time. It just revealed Jesus' love to me in a way I'd never experienced it before. Just such a depth of love, what he was willing to do. And all the time, God was speaking to me about Steve is laying down his life. He's fighting for you and for your marriage. And I have done so much more for you. I had a period of time where Steve moved me back to my parents' house. And I used to battle with him. They lived near the beach. I used to walk along the beachfront every morning and just wrestle with God and wrestle with how I felt and... I used to feel so insignificant looking out at the sea and all the waves crashing. But God would also talk to me about how much he loved and cared for me. But the hardest thing I ever had to do was come back here. Steve was the first person that I rang when everything went belly up. It's just he had been my best friend for years. And so I'd faced him and he'd still loved and accepted me. But I had to come back and face the church family, which was a small, close-knit group of people because we were just starting a church. And oh my goodness, that was terrifying. But the grace and the love that they showed me at the time was just incredible. And after a while, I realized I'd never felt so free. And it was because these people knew the worst about me, knew what I was capable of, things I hadn't even thought I would be capable of. And yet, they still loved me. So since that time, we've all been on a journey. Me as an individual, but as Steve said, us as a church, in discovering what it means to be authentic community together. In the book, I talk about how 
As I came back, God really clearly said to me, I want you to stay as vulnerable as you are now. And I found that really hard because I began to discover that pretty much all of us wear masks of some description, and I was the only one who'd had mine unceremoniously ripped from my face. So I felt very exposed. But over time, we learnt how to trust one another again and to share more deeply. And I do truly believe that God calls us to loving, caring, authentic community together where we have that depth of sharing. Does that mean that we all know each other's business? No, it's not carte blanche to be as nosy as you want to about every person, what's going on in their lives. That actually isn't practical, and we don't need to know the details. We don't have the time to be as involved as I think God wants us to be with every single person. So we look to Jesus and see what he did when he was walking on the earth. And he had hundreds of people following him, didn't he? But he drew that 12 close to him. And he had three that were even closer still. He invested time into them. So even if we find it difficult to start with, I think it's really important that we invest the time and the energy into having those really close friendships. Because while we are all just looking across the room, we're all just so incredibly different. And each one of us has a story that's got us to this point. But God asks us to care for one another. We can't ignore those around us. We can't ignore their needs. But we also need to lower our masks long enough to show who we truly are. It's only then that we can commit to one another properly. And then we can find out who it is that we resonate most deeply with. I'm just going to embarrass a couple of people now, because I'm standing up here and they're not. Michaela is a friend that I've known for far too many years, and I don't want to say how many, but I've known her since university. And we've gone through an incredible amount together. God's got a great sense of humor, because when I first met Michaela, I'd moved up to university, and Steve wasn't up in London yet, and I used to just go and cry. She was the deputy CU leader. I used to cry on her every week, because I was missing Steve so much. And those of you who know Michaela, she's quite outspoken. She tells you how it is. So she told me to go to Queen's Road, Wimbledon. I found that offensive, so I went to the vineyard for a couple of years. So our friendship started in a very strange way. But I have to say, she's one of the people that I have been through pretty much everything in my life since I met her. Um, and we've gone through a lot in our friendship, but we've also been through a huge amount in our families, and we've both stood by each other through those times. And I know she's somebody, however busy we are, I know I can rely on her and trust her with the darkest things that are going on in my heart. So thank you for that, Michaela. But there's also space for the gift of new friendships. And I really think that God wants to say that to us this morning. We might have those close friends that we feel that we can say anything to, but if we keep ourselves so closed we might stop ourselves from that gift of a new friendship. So now I'm going to embarrass Naomi. Um, Naomi came to the church a few years after we'd started, um, and there was some kind of instant connection with her. Um, and she's become one of my closest friends too. Uh, we are super busy. We don't see each other as much as we would like to, but we pretty much text each other every day. Um, and we try to hold one another accountable. We ask each other those difficult questions. And I wouldn't have had... Naomi's friendship if she hadn't moved into the area. So it was that God opening up a new blessing. And I think we need to be open to that too. There are other ways that um, we get blessed with friendships and relationships. And I've also loved being part of the women's Bible study group that meets 
not Bible study, book study group that meets once a month. We are a really varied group of women of all ages, all backgrounds, and the books that we've been studying call for a really honest, deep wrestling, some real deep self-examination at times. And there have been moments of really awkward silence when obviously God is like pinpointing things in us and we think, oh, I don't know if I can actually share that. I don't know if I feel comfortable. But we felt God say, actually, just persevere. It doesn't matter if there's times of silence. And when we have had the courage to speak out and share, we've experienced such deep connection, support and care, and lots of those me too moments, which are so validating and encouraging. And it's just, I just want to say thank you to all you women who come along. And if you haven't been and would like to, you're very welcome, because it is just a lovely atmosphere. Um, and we're all there for the same purpose of getting to know God more, getting to understand ourselves more, and learning to be open and share with one another. So now I've told you a bit about my story, I just want to think about how we can continue to cultivate this authenticity within church. So here's a few suggestions for you. Firstly, I think Steve's already read out the scripture. 2 Corinthians, have you read there? Somebody's read it out, I think. Don't allow the past to keep you locked up in the present. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. God has a lot of healing that he wants to do in us. And he's really gracious. He doesn't go around. He's not in the business of going around ripping people's masks off their faces. My story is a bit more dramatic because I refused his gentle prompting over the years and I kept making bad choices. And actually, it was his love and his care that got me to that point. He was saving me from myself. I actually see mask removing as more like um, the process of peeling an onion. So all I want to say on that is, are you open to that next part of your own journey? The next point, which I've already said, really, is actively cultivate the close relationships and friendships within church. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. I've talked about Michaela and Naomi, and I would say that they definitely do that for me, and I hope I do that for them. But we all need those people that we can be truly honest with, the ones that we know have our backs and are willing to fight our corner, but who will also challenge us when we need it. If you don't feel you've got that kind of a friendship, start praying for it. Think about the people that you might have something in common with, and then ask them how you can be a good friend to them. Offer what it is that you want and see what God does with your offering. There's a, um, there's a story in my book that the, the person who edited it shared with me and allowed me to put in when she did that. She was finding her church really uncomfortable and didn't feel like she fitted in. And God said to her, well, you need to be what you want. And um, you can read the story to find out what happened. The next point is... Um, become part of a small group if you aren't already because this is a great way of getting to know people, of beginning to understand what it is that's going into their lives. We come in on a Sunday morning. We have a great time worshipping, catch a few conversations, and then we're gone again, ready for the next week. But if you meet in a small group during the week, you get that community. You're able to share some of your own life experiences. And actually, God often grows us and teaches us through people who aren't like us. Our friendships are usually those that we have... Um, similar interests with, but in a small group, you can be put together with all sorts of different people. And God uses us all, 
Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharps iron, so one person sharpens another. In Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. God calls us to community because it's where we find support, but it's also the way that he helps us to be more like Jesus. This is just a little aside, but I wanted to give a practical example of how spending time with a group of people can change our perspectives too. <clears throat> I think it was probably a couple of years ago now, we did the, um, a women's event called Praising Through the Pain, and I'd asked three different women who um, have really encouraged me and challenged me to keep on with my faith, to keep on worshipping God, even through really difficult struggles. And a lot of women came up to me at the end and said that they had no idea about the details of what those speakers go through and had been through in their lives. And actually, you can see people on a Sunday morning and just make assumptions about them. We can just make judgments of each other based on our outer appearances, can't we? And I think that's something we need to ask God to help us guard our hearts against. The next one is uh, learn to be humble and model forgiveness. At the beginning of the year, I asked God for a word that would be my key word for 2017. And I wasn't that chuffed with what he gave me. But the word was humility. It's been a hard journey at times over this year, but he's taught me an awful lot about the importance of being humble enough to say sorry when we've hurt somebody and forgiving them when they hurt us. We can't have authentic community if we're not willing to be humble and if we're not willing to forgive one another. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Thinking about others before ourselves means that we attend church not for what we can get out of it, but for what we can give. And actually, when we serve one another out of love, we get a huge amount more back than we would have done anyway. My last point is unity is vital. God wants a, uh, a united, authentic church in order to reach the world. I mean, Rob said this morning that we are... Um, we're the one club that exists for those outside of its members. How do we reach them unless we're being authentic? John 17, 20 to 23 says that it's through our love for one another, through our unity, the world will know Jesus. So if we aren't authentically loving, but we're hiding ourselves from each other week by week, we are effectively hindering Jesus from being known to the world. We're basically hiding him from them too. That's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord commands the blessing. Authentic community is the way that we get God's blessing. Don't we all want that? Well, as Claire said, it's been a, a real journey for us. And... I think one of the key things I've learned is that not everything is God sent. You know, we, we make a, a mess of our lives quite easily. And obviously in our marriage, it is equally my lack of engagement as well. I just want to publicly say that. It's not just Claire's fault. It takes two to make a marriage, doesn't it? But one thing I have learned, while not everything is God-sent, everything can be God-used. Everything 
can be God used. I just, uh, I just saw a, a quote by Kay Warren. Um, she says this, it's as we open up and allow God to tend those wounds, then we find those very scars are the things that will help bring healing and wholeness to others. It's so true. It's so true. That has been our experience, and it is, it's a privilege to journey in God's grace because that's what we're called to do. You know, I mean, this morning is Remembrance Sunday. And Remembrance Sunday is, it's all about learning from battles of the past, isn't it? Remembering God's faithfulness. Whatever circumstance of life you're going through, remember God's faithfulness. And although it was many, many years ago, as Claire said, you know, the struggle was very, very real. I remember battling with God in prayer. I remember saying, I refuse to be another statistic. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to pray for this. But the truth is, however, the out- whatever the outcome, actually, the truth is God is still good and God is still faithful and he's still big enough to bring good even out of the darkest of our situations, whatever the outcome would have been. You know, and Claire and I are living testament to that. And I thank God for his faithfulness. But Remembrance Sunday is also about not allowing complacency to set in. There's that phrase, lest we forget, that's used at this time of year. Lest we forget. And I think I found one of the biggest battles in the subsequent years, is actually fighting complacency. You know, it, it's, it's trying to avoid the same unhealthy patterns of behavior that were evident in our early years of marriage. You know, patterns that communicate to our partner that we take them for granted. It's easy to forget lessons learned. And we need to keep on fighting and keep on working hard at love and at unity and at forgiveness, as Claire said. Whatever our relationship, in every relationship. Remember, Sunday is also very much about forgiveness. We've mentioned that a lot. And I know we have both had to walk the path of forgiveness daily it's, it's true, those closest to us are the ones that have the greatest potential to hurt us. And, and the truth is, forgiveness is not a one-off, once-off decision. It, it, it's a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude that refuses, point blank, to hold on to grudges. It refuses, point blank, to dwell on the hurt. And it's a decision that releases us. It releases freedom for us to move on and to grow. And I remember during that time, God lead me to the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea was a, an Old Testament prophet who was basically told by God to keep on pursuing and keep on loving and keep on forgiving his unfaithful wife as an illustration of how God kept on and keeps on loving 
and kept on pursuing Israel, despite Israel's unforgiveness. And, and through that, it just opened my eyes afresh to how God really is the God of a thousand second chances. You know, who am I to withhold forgiveness? Who am I to hold on to resentment? Who am I to dwell on hurt when he has pursued me relentlessly and he pursues you relentlessly? He's an incredible forgiving father and forgiveness really is key to walking in true freedom. We can forgive because he has first forgiven us. Remembrance Sunday is also about trust. Choosing again to trust those you have fought against and those you have battled against and those who have hurt you. You know, it's often said trust is earned. I actually think trust is a choice. Trust is a choice. I had to choose to put my heart on the line again. You know, unguarded, unprotected, if there was going to be any real hope of future intimacy and closeness. The same is true in our walk with God, in our relationship with him. If we are to enjoy intimacy and closeness with God, we need to stop holding back our hearts. We need to trust him implicitly, implicitly with all our hearts, with all our lives. Finally, Remembrance Sunday is all about remembering the cost. As we had that two-minute silence, just remembering the sacrifice, remembering the cost of people laying down their lives for our freedom. And of course, the wonderful gospel message is that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice. Romans 5.8 reminds us, though, that it was while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, he laid his life down for us. Claire, I don't know if you could just come up. So I just, I know our prayer for you guys as a church is that we are all able to truly be free to be the people God has called us to be. It's why Claire's written her book and why she just felt God allow her to put, her, put, to put her, our lives, you know, in, in the public sphere. We're just going to say, look, this is our journey. It's probably similar to many others. It's, it's probably not as bad as some. It's probably far worse than others. You know, it doesn't matter. I love that picture that Lynn brought about just every, you know, when we give our lives to God, we're laying our lives down. We're saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm dying to my pride. I'm dying to my reputation. And I'm going to live for Jesus. It's a leveler. He sees us the same. And you know what? When you surrender your life to Jesus, he sees you clothed in his righteousness. And that's our prayer that we aren't hiding behind masks to protect ourselves, but know, really know, that we are deeply loved and accepted by him and by each other. I've just been reminding while I was just sat back down. um, After I'd moved back home, um, it was almost my 30th birthday. um, So Steve took me away to Italy. And one of the things that we were there expressly to do was to pray and seek God as to whether we were still supposed to be part of the church plant. Part of me was hoping God was going to say, no, you need a fresh start, move somewhere else. 
And we had nothing for days. And I just said to God, look, we're praying, we're fasting, we're taking communion together. Tell us, give us a sign. And he just said to me, have I told you to move? And in that moment, there was just such a sense of validation and acceptance again. Um, And that even though we'd made some huge mistakes, it didn't take us out of what God had called us to do. And I just wanted to to share that this morning because I think there might be some of you sitting there saying, well, you don't know the mistakes I've made. You're standing up there and you're past that point in your journey. And actually, as Steve said, it's a daily choice to walk into the freedom that God has given us. But I, I th- God wants to say to you, your mistakes do not invalidate the work that God is doing in your life. So don't hold on to that as an excuse not to let them go back to him. It's okay. I'd just like us to pray for all of us as a church. If you'd just like to bow our heads and let's just come to Jesus, come to the one who has won the victory, who has given us everything we need, who loves and accepts us. Father, I just pray that every single one of us will walk not conforming to the world's standards and all its insecurities and all its fears, but conforming to the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ that we are loved, that we are accepted, and we are qualified through Jesus Christ by our Heavenly Father.